Today's reading is from Revelation 3:14 to 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are, either, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. To whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You may be seated. As you're seated, let me pray. Uh, Father, as we move into this new year, we ask you that you would pour out your spirit upon us. Lord, I pray for ears to hear in this time what you are saying to our church. I pray for ears to hear what you're saying to each of us through this text of scripture. We ask you that you be glorified in our midst, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen. Nothing like bringing in the new year with uh, lukewarmness, poor, pitiable, blind, naked uh, letter from the church, a uh, letter to the church in Laodicea. Um, what I want to say about this, oh, by the way, I'm Brett. Nice, nice to meet you. If I haven't been able to meet you yet, welcome. 2019 is a year to get close to Jesus. 2019 is a year to get close to Jesus. This, what you've just heard read this morning, is a letter from Jesus written to the church. In the ancient city of Laodicea, it's a passage of scripture that functions in two ways. It functions, number one, as a warning, and it functions, number two, as an invitation to come closer to Jesus. And so let me get right to it. I'm not going to belabor you with any, you know, wisecracks on getting into this this morning, except for what I've already wisecracked about. My question, my singular question today, but what is keeping you from a closer walk with Jesus? And if you're brave enough to actually ask yourself that question and you're brave enough to stand and allow the spirit to work in your heart to come to you, I want you to join me in this. What is keeping you from a closer walk with Jesus? Here's how we're going to look at the passage this morning. Four points. Number one, the context of the city. Number two, the self-revelation of Jesus. Number three, the diagnosis of the problem. And then number four, the solution that he offers. So the city, Jesus, the problem, and the solution. The city, Jesus, the problem, and the solution. Here's the context of the city that we're talking about because none of us have ever been to Laodicea. That's my guess. My guess is none of us have ever been to Laodicea. Laodicea was 10 kilometers south of a city called Hierapolis. And it was 16 kilometers from a place that we actually do know a little bit about as 21st century West Coast Christians. 16 kilometers from Colossae. Paul wrote a letter to the Colossians. We know a little bit about them. All three 
cities mentioned here are actually mentioned in the letter to the Colossians. It's kind of like an, an ancient version of a tri-city complex. Three cities in close proximity to each other. Now, Laodicea as a city was on a major trading route. And this really influenced the identity of the city. It was a prosperous place. It was primarily known for three things. And there's three things that have great importance in terms of what Jesus specifically says to them. Three things that the ancient city of Laodicea was known for. Number one, they had an amazing economy and a prominent center for, it was a prominent center for uh, a very wealthy banking system. The city was so rich that there was an earthquake that leveled the city in AD 60. And they actually refused help from Rome to refinance the rebuilding or to, to finance the rebuilding of their city. Uh, they had enough money, they had their own resources, and they were people who were actually proud of the fact that they were in need of nothing. Imagine that there's a massive, you know, nine point whatever earthquake. Vancouver's falling apart. Federal government says, hey, 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 we have some money to help you rebuild a few things. And we just got, now nah, we're good. We got it. Vancouver can take care of itself. They were proud of the fact that they could do this. Number two, second thing that was important for us to note about the city of Laodicea, they had a textile industry that produced shiny black wool. I know that doesn't sound that exciting. That was a product of careful selective breeding. You got to think this was a long time ago, right? Okay, the wool and the clothes that were made for the wool were exported all over the world. And the history books actually say these were the best dressed people in the province of Asia. It's something that's noted in the history books. Just a quick aside, if there's something noted in the history books, it was a formative identity of that city. It was very important to them. Number three, the third most, the third other thing about the city, well-known medical college. They had a college that produced eye salve that was believed to heal wake or, uh, weak or failing eyes. If you had poor eyesight, you wanted to go there and buy some of the cream that they made. Now, again, these seem like random facts until you read this passage of Scripture, the letter from Jesus to the church of Laodicea. Because in a worldly sense, this city seemed to have it all. I think it's like Vancouver, apart from the best-dressed part. We're not the best-dressed city. We, we don't do that very well, actually, which is nice for me because I don't really care about that because I fit in really well. We're not a, we, we do not win best-dressed city awards. I don't know if you've noticed that. Something about Blundstone boots and Hunter rain boots and stretchy pants. I don't know. I don't have any stretchy pants, just to be clear. I just want to be clear. Spiritually speaking, though, Vancouver's kind of like this, too, because we're pretty proud of our independence. In a lot of ways, we're kind of self-made. We like the idea that there are all these different truths that we can engage with around the world, all these different spiritual philosophies that we can go to, and we can take a little Buddha, we can take a little Jesus, we can take a little Muhammad, we can take a little of whatever, and we can blend it all together into the new Vancouver spirituality. And so when somebody says, I'm a Christian, they go, oh, yeah, yeah I follow Jesus, too. They're like, no, we're talking about a different Jesus. Like, that's Vancouver. We love to curate our own little spiritual worldview. Something that we do. We have need of nothing. This is why it's so important for us to see who Jesus reveals himself to us as in Scripture. Because we will otherwise fall into the temptation of creating God in our own image. So what do the scriptures say about God? Who does he show himself to us to be? This is what it says in verse 14 of chapter 3 in Revelation. It says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen. The faithful and true witness. The beginning of God's creation. He's the Amen. 
He's the faithful and true witness, and he is the beginning of God's creation. Now, we usually use amen at the end of a prayer, so that doesn't make a whole bunch of sense to us. But the original hearers, the scholars say that the original hearers in Hebrew thought would have heard amen as a way of acknowledging that something is valid or binding. It's a way of saying that something is utterly trustworthy, that it's a solid foundation that could be built upon. So Jesus is saying he is that foundation. You can build your whole life on him. He also calls himself the faithful and true witness, which is kind of like restating that he is the amen. Um, In Greek, there's two words that are normally used and translated as true. He's the faithful and true witness. One means true versus false. The other means genuine versus fake. It's the second one that Jesus uses here. He says he's the genuine deal. He says, I am the utterly solid foundation of life. You can build your life upon me. I am the real thing. I'm the genuine article. Don't build your life on anything else. And then he says he's the beginning of God's creation. That's a verse that many would misuse in an attempt to try to create Jesus in their own image. Oh, he's the beginning of God's creation, so he's not truly God. There's people who would say that. They would have their own agenda and would try to manipulate scriptures like this and others to create God in their own image. But what they're missing is the fact that the word that Jesus uses here in this text is a word that means beginning, but as Daryl Johnson has written in his commentary on the book of Revelation, he says it's not just in the sense of first in a sequence. Not just first in a sequence. The word Jesus means, uh, word Jesus uses here means originator of the sequence. Source of the sequence. Not first in line, the creator of the line. He's not the front of the line. He is the beginning of the line. The line comes from him. The church in Laodicea, the church whose lifestyle just screams this mantra that we have need of nothing. They are being reminded that Jesus is the foundation, that he's the truth, that he is the source of all creation. Now, I mentioned that this church and uh, the church in Colossae had a re- relationship. And when Paul wrote the letter of Colossians, he wrote the letter to the Colossians, it was indirectly written to the Laodiceans. In fact, in uh, chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, he says, hey, make sure you give this letter to the Laodicean church. Make sure they read it too. So there's a connection between Colossae and the neighboring city here, Laodicea. And in the letter to the Colossians, Paul makes much of Christ's preeminence, his firstness, his supremacy. This is what it says in Colossians chapter 1, when we're talking about Jesus as the beginning. He is the source. It says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is the begin, and he is before all things. He, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, in that everything he might be preeminent. And Jesus is saying. This church needs to hear this. He's saying to this church, I think he's saying it to us today, all of creation has its origin and purpose in me. I am the source, I am the cause of all life, the beginning and the source of creation. I am the resurrected beginning of new creation and the foundation of it all. 
So there's nothing that is untouched by the preeminence of Christ. And if you're living like the Laodicean church was, and you have dethroned Jesus, and you have enthroned yourself as the center and the sum and the total of all creation, it says that he will spit you out of his mouth. Apostle John, who writes this to us, says in Revelation 1, verses 17 and 18, he says, when I saw him, he sees Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. He's the first and he's the last. So if he's the alpha and the omega, he's the beginning and he's the end. Your life's not going to make any sense until you see that. If he's the author of all things, he's the sustainer of all things. He's the one who will usher in a cosmic renewal of all things. And he is your beginning. And if he is your end, it would make sense that he is your everything in between. And I think there's times where we as the church in Vancouver who are comfortable, who are doing quite well by and large. Where we think he's the beginning and we think he's the end, but we think we own the middle. We go, Jesus, thanks for saving me. And when I'm dying, I'm going to see you. But the middle's mine. This letter to the church of Laodicea was written that we today might know that's not true. That's the self-revelation of Jesus. But what about his diagnosis of the problem? What is the problem that he's writing to them about? Verse 15 says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You say, what is he talking about? There's one more thing I need to tell you about the ancient city of Laodicea. The city that had the wealth of the nation in their banks. They had the best dressed people in the province. They had a medical college that was on the cutting edge of research and development. They, they were wonderful, but they lacked something of basic primary necessity. They had all the comforts. They had all the luxuries. They had independence and affluence. But they did not have a natural source of drinking water. Geographically speaking, this is true of the city. See, most cities in the ancient world were built where natural resources were plentiful and access to things like water was easy, but not Laodicea. Laodicea was built as a center of commerce, a business center on a busy trading route. That meant they needed to rely on water being piped in from the neighboring cities of Hierapolis and Colossae. There's a wonderful commentary written by a guy named Robert H. Mounts. In this, he explains this. He says, Hierapolis was known for its mineral-rich natural hot springs that were thought to have some kind of healing properties. And Colossae was known for its cold, refreshing drinking water. But when the water had to be piped in through these ancient aqueducts, it either had to come 10 kilometers from one city or 16 kilometers from the other. Here's what happened. By the time the water reached the city of Laodicea, the cold, refreshing, wonderful, crisp water was lukewarm. The water coming from the opposite direction, 
that was hot, mineral rich, had healing properties. By the time it got to Laodicea, it was no longer hot, it was lukewarm. So if you walked around the city of Laodicea, if you took your vacation and you went there into the ancient city and you walked around, you said, I'm thirsty. I need some water. There is no natural source of water in that city. Any water that you're drinking either comes from Colossae or Hierapolis. It is either cold at its source or very hot at its source. But by the time it gets to Laodicea, it's lukewarm. The hot water that was lukewarm by the time it arrived in Laodicea was also rich in minerals. Which meant that by the time it got there... Some unsuspecting visitor to the city like you, if you took your vacation there, would take a drink of this sort of smelly, lukewarm water and they would spit it out in disgust and reject it. This is what Jesus is saying to his church. I would rather you be hot or cold. I would rather you be close to the source where your purpose can be accomplished. I would rather you be near to me. But you, like the water in your fabricated city, you are too far from the source for the true foundation of your life to be either hot for healing or cold for refreshing. You are lukewarm and sickly, and I will spit you out of my mouth. G. Campbell Morgan said, lukewarmness is the worst form of blasphemy. Lukewarmness in our faith most often comes from thinking that we're without need. We live in a place where this is a dangerous temptation. Lukewarmness comes from distancing ourselves from Jesus. Jesus' words in this text, they're sharp. They even sound a bit angry. But I think you need to hear them in the way that they're spoken. Because I really believe these are gracious words of compassion. To self-reliant sheep that have gone astray. They're a warning, but I believe they're also an invitation. In verse 15, Jesus says, I know your works, but it says in verse 17, which we just looked at, it says that people didn't realize their own condition. I think it's the nature of lukewarmness to be unaware that you're lukewarm. And that's what makes it so scary. So Jesus uses some harsh words and he wakes them up. Changes his tone. I think they hear him. Verse 17 says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. See, in their wealth, they are the banking center of the region. In their industry, they clothe others in beauty. And in their medicine, they help others to see. And Jesus says, you've got your entire identity wrapped up in the temporal world around you. You might be wealthy, you yourselves are poor. You might be fashion designers, but you don't know, you yourselves are naked. And you may be healers, but you yourselves are blind. He says, you think you're in need of nothing, but you do not know how needy you truly are. So they're delusions of security and material wealth. It's an indicator that they're sick with something that psychologists and sociologists call, it's a diagnosis called affluenza. Affluenza. Affluenza is a painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, debt, anxiety, and waste resulting from the dogged pursuit of more. And you go, Brett, you had to bring this right after Christmas? 
Don't shoot the messenger. Pay attention to the words of Jesus. Because I think our inner spiritual fire is in constant danger of being snuffed out by the wet blanket of the cultural affluenza that we live in. See, some of us like to accumulate. We like to spend. We live to accomplish. We like the list of accolades. Some of us are killing ourselves to fight for some kind of status that doesn't even matter. But I want you to see the grace in this because the words of Jesus wake his people up. He's calling them out of their sleepiness. He's offering them a way forward. How do you know you're lukewarm? How do you know? A few things I think we could look at is identifying features of it, but you've got to ask yourself the question. If you're, if you're willing to, would you ask yourself the question today, what, what is keeping me from a closer relationship with Jesus? Lukewarmness, I think, shows up in a number of ways. I think prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. Look, as a church, we don't pray well. You follow me, unfortunately, for better or for worse. There are times I don't pray well. Prayerlessness, I think, is a symptom of lukewarmness. Perceived needlessness, when you just kind of think to yourself, I have everything I need. You really haven't felt need in a long time. I remember when one of our girls was just little. She was really little still. I think it was Jasmine. And... uh she was talking about her stomach was hurting. and She couldn't explain this pain. Like, she was like three. She said, my tummy hurts. She was hungry. She just never felt it before. Now, that, that's not true everywhere. I'm thankful that she wasn't going hungry before that. Also questions maybe the amount of snacks we were giving her. But she did not have a perceived need. Everything she ever needed was right there all the time. It's not true of everybody. And it's scary if we think that we don't have need. Oh, a lack of evangelistic zeal, just a total indifference to the lost. I think we can be lukewarm. If we just look at the lostness of the city around us and we just kind of go, man. I'll come back to a place of having the heart of Jesus for this city. What about just an indifference to holiness? Just a totally satisfied, just existing in habitual sin. You just kind of go, I don't want to overcome this. I don't want to war with my sin. I'm just fine. I'm just going to give in. Just live here. It's lukewarmness. See, if you're lacking intimacy with Jesus, you're far from the source. And you end up lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. You're very far from the source and the lukewarmness starts to take hold. Perceived centrality of yourself. Uh, Jesus and others don't get anywhere into the middle. You're the center of the universe. We've got to fight against that. Because you hear six and a half days a week a message coming from somewhere else that says you are the center of everything. Oh, you've got to get in the word and be reminded that you're not. And the last one, I think, just symptomatic of, of 
lukewarmness is a lack of repentance. Not remorse, because you can feel bad about something you've done, but, but deep repentance. Where you say, I don't want to do that anymore, and I, wanna, I don't want to change. There's fruit in keeping with repentance that, that changes the course of your life away from something that's killing you. Just when's the last time you just sat down and just thought, I need to examine my heart. What is it that I'm doing that offends you, Lord? So what do we do if we're lukewarm and we're comfortable and we look at our strength and we look at our successes and we look at our own sufficiency and we're just comfortable with it? The solution he offers here is in verse 18. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. The very things that they were so proud of, he offers them the true and better version of. He offers them true riches, true clothes, true sight. He offers them a transaction where they can exchange the lie that they've been believing for the truth of the gospel. He offers to exchange the expensive, perishable treasures that they hold on to and found their identity in for the imperishable treasures that are priceless, things they cannot buy. This is offered to them. Don't miss the first three words of verse 18. He says, I counsel you. See, Jesus is involved. He is caring. He, he, he comes to them. He never shows us a problem in our lives. He never highlights a problem in our lives without giving us a solution for that. So he counsels them. He says, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. He says, forsake your world of riches and find richness in what I offer. He says, buy from me white garments to cover the shame of your nakedness. Buy from me salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Uh, One commentator said that there is a sustained irony in these verses, playing off the self-sufficiency of the people. The gold that they need is the spiritual wealth that's passed through the refiner's fire and been found totally trustworthy. The clothes that they need are in contrast to the black wool that they produced, but even more so the white Garments that they need are symbolic of the righteousness of Christ. We need to be clothed in his righteousness. Not a righteousness of our own, but a righteousness accomplished for us, gifted to us, and we live out of that identity. The immediate cause of their problem here was their spiritual blindness, and for that they needed Jesus to heal their eyes. And then you might sit here today and you might say, well, I'm not really caught up in materialism, Brett. I'm not symptomatic of affluenza. I'm not living for more and more and more and more. And you might actually be right. You might not be. But the root of half-hearted lukewarmness is not just being caught up in materialism and affluenza. That's probably what's going on here in the text in some way. But half-hearted lukewarmness is also rooted in the complacency that's born out of a false self-sufficiency of being far from the source. You're not near to him. What if you're not near to him? Like your lukewarmness might look like materialism and your lukewarmness might look like pious, simple living. Um, but your need's still greater than you know. I think this message is for all of us who just rely a little too much 
on our own strength. This message is for all of us who think that we can do it on our own. This message is for all of us who are very thankful that Jesus got us started on this path of salvation, but we are pretty sure we can take over now. We're the ones who say we're rich. We're the ones who say that we've prospered. We're the ones who say that we need nothing. And we're the ones who are identified, I think, here in this text, realizing that Jesus is right, that we are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus says, buy from me. When I say the message is for all of us who rely a little too much on our own strength, um, I say us. Because you know I'm at the front of that line. Like, I'm deeply convicted by this. I'm deeply convicted of lukewarmness. Because I can, I can do some stuff. Like I can get away with doing some stuff. I've... I've studied enough. I've read enough. I, I know God has naturally given me the ability to do my job. I can do it in my own strength. I think some of you don't believe that. Like you think pastors live on some sort of spiritual plane, you know, like way up here. I don't know. You have not hung out with our staff. You just haven't. You've not hung out with the elders of Christ City who, through the holidays, exchange messages of you know, emails of, please pray for me, I'm desperate. No one is outside of being susceptible to this. Jesus is buy from me. It's a, it's a transactional exchange. It's not a normal purchase for the elite or the wealthy. It's for those who realize they cannot pay. Jesus says, come to me. He says, give me your sin, give me your shame, and gain what I have accomplished in your place. He says, come to me. I am the crucified and risen king. I am the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. I will give you what you truly need if you're willing to forsake what you've put your trust in. Isaiah 55 verse 1 foreshadows this 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Isaiah 55 1 says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Jesus says, come to me. All of you who think you've arrived. And I'll give you what you didn't know you needed. He says in chapter 3, verse 19, to those whom I love. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. The discipline of the Lord is for those who are his. It should encourage you that he is a legitimate father. That God our father disciplines us. That we might get near to the source. That we may come to him. It's the good news of the gospel. That he's, he's not going to leave us where we are. That's comforting. You turn the course of the new year. And you get your list of goals. And all those kind of things out. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. Just like I did last year. Nope. When I go to the gym more. Yeah, what's more? I'll, I'll rationalize that in February. You make your list of goals. 
You move into the new year and you go, yeah, I got some, right? Do you move into the new year with a hop in your step or do you come in just sort of dragging over the finish line? I am both. (laughs) You move into the new year and you're like, got great hopes for the year. Here's what happens. The first wrench that gets thrown into the gears of 2019 knocks you off course. You need to know how to get back on it. And I hope this draws you near to him. So he'll help you. So let's say we realize the truth of our situation. Let's say we realize our condition and we desire to deal with it. How do we deal with the darkness of our situation right now? How do we come back to a place of God-dependent zeal? To an earnest life of repentance. How do we do that? Well, verse 20. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. We see the only way to chase out the darkness of our condition is to open the door to the light. And he knocks. Notice who he's talking to. We've used this verse lots of times, I'm sure, in our lives as evangelistic. And we say to somebody who's a friend of ours or loved one of ours who does not know Jesus, and we say, he's knocking on your heart. Will you open the door to him? But notice who he's really saying that to in this text. This letter is to the church of Laodicea, to his people. Ultimately, the root of our lukewarmness is the exclusion of Jesus. He's on the outside. So Jesus brings this rebuke to his church, and he brings it to every church, but it's It's the gracious knock on the door. The knock is the reminder that he's actually the Lord of the house. And when he knocks on the door, the the tenants better hear and respond. This is an invitation to intimacy with the king. This is a language of, uh, there's something like this in the Song of Solomon. He says, I slept, but my heart was awake, a sound. My beloved is knocking. Hmm. Our beloved knocks at the door because we have a God who pursues us. And even when we've excluded him from an area of our life and we pushed him to the outside, he comes and he knocks. Invites us to dine with him. Another commentator said, when he says, here, I'll come in and eat with you. He said, that's a Middle Eastern way of saying, I'll make a covenant with you and I'll share all that I am with you. In this dinner, we recognize this is what would be called in the scriptures, the marriage supper of the lamb. That Jesus comes in and dines with his people. Just like the language of the lovers in Song of Solomon, this is a wedding feast. It's the consummation of all of history. See, if we've excluded Jesus from the life of the church or if we've excluded Jesus from our personal life in some way, One way or another, the the knock is going to come on the door. The way you respond to the knock will determine if the entrance of the king brings you unspeakable joy or if the entrance of the king is a horrifying terror at the exposure of your shame. But look at verse 21. He says, To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. 
See, the power and the authority of the counsel that Jesus offers here is the identity of who he says he is. He tells us who he is, and then he says that he'll give us that identity too. That he'll share with us in his rule and reign. Jesus says, you think yourself sufficient, but you're naked, blind beggars. But I love you. And I'm here. You think you're self-sufficient. You think you got it all worked out. But you don't, and you need me. But it's okay, because I'm here. And I knock on the door of the congregation of Christ City Church. Will you have me? See, the good news is, once we realize that we're naked and blind and broke, he offers to make us rulers. Once we forsake our independent wealth and we acknowledge our poverty and we welcome him in to dine with us, it says that Jesus will make us eternally spiritually rich. And we've been offered a hope that is an unparalleled eternal promise. But it cannot be received if you exclude the king from your life. And if he isn't welcomed in, then he's not Lord. You can't live the Christian life of Jesus on the other side of the door. We can't do that. So I want to ask us, when has he knocked on the door of our lives trying to draw us closer to him? And we've just simply remained seated on the couch. And we hear the knock and we go, no, not today. Where we are already at table dining on our own. And he knocks on the door. And we just go, nah, not today. If you're willing to, and you can, and you can ask the Holy Spirit to show you the areas that you've excluded Jesus from, what'll happen is, is you'll highlight areas of lukewarmness. And once it's exposed, then it can be healed, and you can repent, and your zeal can return to serve him. You can be closer to him in 2019 than you ever have. You can grow in relationship with him in 2019 more than you ever expected. You can experience more of his presence this year. If you're willing to ask yourself the question, what's holding me back from a closer relationship with Jesus? Verse 22 says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Do you stand and respond with me today?